your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us. We're cooking. It's May. The Chicago White Sox aren't very good. We'll get into that maybe in future episodes, but it's going to be a topic of conversation moving forward, at least here on the Future Sox Podcast, because I don't think the writing is on the wall, but we can kind of assume what the next step is once the White Sox get to where they are by July. And when I say that... There's not a lot of optimism around these parts, considering a brutal April start, injuries, and the fact that this big league White Sox club isn't finding ways to win. And even when they do win one-run games, it's just not sustainable. And not to say that you know I'm writing this season off already, but if the White Sox don't make significant improvement over the next 60 games, uh, we're going to see a totally different roster moving forward. And I just wanted to provide that caveat because there's draft season coming up in July and even across the whole month of June. So at Future Sox, we'll have you covered throughout, as well as SoxMachine.com. Thanks so much, obviously, for being a patron. Those who contribute, go to SoxMachine.com. The whole point of this podcast today is to check in on White Sox infrastructure. How's the pitching doing? How's the 2022 draft class doing? Oh, and there's some news that we need to get to as well. All of that being said, the Chicago White Sox may not be playing good baseball, but we're sort of looking beyond and trying to figure out what's next for this organization. Now, James, welcome back. It's never easy to talk about the future of the White Sox in May, and especially now considering the front office construction. I know we don't want to get too deep into this conversation yet, but it has to be said. When there's Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and Jerry Reinsdorf in this building, it's hard for me to think about reasonable change in decision-making. Because right now, trying to figure out the future of the White Sox, it's not as easy as just to say, fire Rick Hahn and reset. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty grim. I mean, obviously, with Kenny there in place, it's just, I've always just kind of thought it was tough. And look, everybody kind of sees me as like the Rick Hahn defender, I think, like, you know, like full disclosure, like they should absolutely fire both of those people and hire a new president of baseball ops. And like, if that looks like Kenny going out for Jerry Reinsdorf and finding his replacement, like that would be fine with me. It just doesn't seem like something that's necessarily in the cards. And that makes things difficult because like from a big picture, like fan perspective, right? Like to me, like I'm on record saying like, to me, like worst case scenario would be the White Sox getting back into this thing and then finishing like 500. And then, you know, you don't get rid of anyone. You don't trade players that you should trade. Like, I, I don't think like, a you know, a one-off horrendous season is the worst case scenario because like, I'm always looking at winning the next championship. Like if you can't win this year's championship, like what can you do to win another one? Are you closer to another one by like kind of staying the course with some of these guys? Or are you closer by selling off all of your valuable pieces and like starting over essentially 
But then there's the rub, right? Like, are these the people that you want starting over? And I think that answer is a resounding no, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you, you shouldn't want the team to make moves that are or appear to be like what's best for the organization just because you don't like the people that are making them. It's, it's a pretty tough spot. And it's something that we're going to probably talk about, I guess, like, oh, you know, definitely over the next month. And then after, you know, the draft is when it probably really heats up. Cause I mean, regardless of like what we think or what anybody else thinks, like a, a lot of these like trade discussions and stuff don't even take place until after the draft. And the draft is, you know, July 11th, I believe in Seattle over all-star weekend. So it's May, man. Like we, we have like a, a long time still before you would even start considering, you know, buying, selling anything along those lines. But yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty rough. It's a start that they really couldn't afford to have. And now, you know, like you could start winning two out of three and like, honestly, it doesn't even matter. Like you need to some point run off 15 to 17, to like get back in this thing. And I just like, don't know if like they can do that sort of thing. So there's your White Sox update. Yeah, we'll definitely look forward to what's to come because there are players on the books that are coming off the books that they can give value for if they do decide to move forward. And you know, a lot of this, James, and we've been talking about it over the last year plus with this organization and on this podcast, and considering the way that they're rebuilding uh, the farm system, not so much the – I guess it does kind of apply to the big league roster, James, because you know the way that – they, they establish their core as identifying talent, young talent, and they signed the pre-arb deals. And, you know, they, they committed to affordable talent that was identified to be elite. And Tim Anderson was a draft pick, and they identified players like Michael Kopech, who they hope to, you know, obviously become a top and starter along with Yohan Moncada and the sale deal drafted Andrew Vaughn. It's just the strategy behind getting to a competitive level. And, you know, a lot of people lauded the White Sox for the way they got to a competitive window and then they ruined everything. Now here we are in 2023 and we look forward to what's to come. And I've been saying that because we're still waiting for Colson Montgomery to play along with Brian Ramos. These guys haven't started their minor league seasons yet and it's getting close to May 10th. So Colson Montgomery had originally been reported dealing with a uh, a bad oblique. Well, now it's it's a bad back. So Colson Montgomery dealing with the back. Brian Ramos still has the groin. We haven't seen Noah Schultz pitch yet, and you know that's kind of the highlight of the White Sox farm system at this point. A number of names have been good though, and we don't want to dwell on those who have been failing. But that's sort of the issue that I have right now, James. Is where the White Sox stand as an organization, of course, it's frustrating at the big league level, but if you're going to take the pathway of relying on developed talent, you need to see these guys start to make some strides. And unfortunately, some haven't, but many have. Um, but let's start first with that point, James, and we'll get to that breaking news, by the way, of a, of a new right-handed pitcher among the White Sox crowd of arms. First, though, let's talk about the significance of Colson Montgomery and Brian Ramos not playing, as well as Noah Schultz. I mean, what does it do to the farm system when you're evaluating all of the affiliates when those key players aren't there? Yeah, I mean, like even looking at like our top guys, right? Like those are the top two, I guess, position player prospects in the system are the ones with like the most upside, right? And we haven't seen them at all. And then Noah Schultz 
is the top pitching prospect. Now he's, I think he's pitching an extended spring. So like his like, isn't as worrisome and he'll probably finish the year like at an affiliate, which, which is good, right? Like the back half of the year, like we're going to see Noah Schultz, which is cool. So like that part is fine. But then like you look at the rest of the list and I know we did this a couple of weeks ago, but like Jose Rodriguez is like struggles have continued in, in double a Birmingham and Lenin Sosa and Oscar Colas, man, like they're going to like, they're performing in Charlotte and they're always going to perform in Charlotte probably. But you know, they obviously did not get the job done in small samples in the big leagues, you know, to date. And the Sox like aren't really in a spot where like they can just like afford to keep throwing them out there right now either. So we'll see how that goes like for the rest of their season. And then, you know, I think there's been a lot of good pitching development that we can get into. And look, the team at Winston-Salem has been kind of interesting and it's not all prospects, right? But I do feel like it's some guys that have kind of like been forgotten about. And, you know, like DJ Gladney, I think is, I guess, I don't know what the right word is, but like, that's why you take high school players on day three of the draft if you can. Like, because DJ Gladney is still super young. He still strikes out too much, but he has eight homers in high A with a 150 WRC plus and DJ Gladney's now playing the outfield. You know, I mean, he might put up a 30 homer season. This is the best that he's looked. He looks like a legit, like actual prospect right now because he's not like a first baseman, you know, that's striking out with a 40% clip. Same with Wilfred Veras. Like he's had a solid start to his year in Winston Salem. He's also playing some outfield. So even if like they're like below average outfielders. I feel like it's still more valuable than like them being the first base DH types that I think we originally feared. And then the one guy that's really interesting, Terrell Tatum, he made our list. You know, he he hasn't played that much baseball. He was suspended last year for PEDs. He was like a former 16th rounder of NC State a couple years back. He's been very good in Winston-Salem. So leadoff type profile with big speed, left-left, um, center field versatility, so like like I I'm actually hoping that we see him in Double A, and then one of the guys, Lady El Chapelli, who we talk, or Chapei, who we've talked about too, has been solid. So like four or five guys like down in the low minors that aren't like their top prospects that have like all had solid starts on the offensive side, but overall, you know, I would just say like some of the offensive prospects, it's it's been pretty tough with like those injuries at the top. And then there has been some pitching development, though, which I think has been promising. Do you want to elaborate more on some of the pitchers? Because we're watching Cole Seamus. Again, that's somebody who was pointed to us through Baseball America. And he continues to prove that this is a legitimate arm. I mean, he is somebody who's going to pitch at a higher level affiliate soon, uh, as well as Jonathan Cannon. As soon as the White Sox drafted Jonathan Cannon, the consensus was that's a bottom-of-the-rotation starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. And so far, Jonathan Cannon is proving it by his ability to get it up in the mid to upper 90s and throw a lot of strikes. So you're right, James. Looking at this Winston-Salem group, there are some names that a lot of the fans and listeners are familiar with, and Andrew Dahlquist, Jared Kelly. But when you start to bring up names like Wilfred Veris and DJ Gladney, to hear that DJ Gladney specifically, not to like jump from pitching to position player side, DJ Gladney is such a good example of you know what you need organizationally when it comes to like patience and proper surroundings and identifying what can make a player better because DJ Gladney had a lot of swing and miss issues. He is athletic and he isn't he's playing in the outfield, but at the plate specifically, 
that's a guy who was filled with pop and sort of had a wild swing to him when he got to Arizona in his first year following high school. But you could see when he would make contact, the mechanics were so clean. And when we talked to Devin DeYoung, one of the uh, instructors in the White Sox system, uh, an evaluator, he mentioned DJ Gladney and Andrew Vaughn together as guys who had biomechanics listings that were off the charts. And when they watched DJ Gladney swing, there was very minimal wasted movement. And they had changed his approach at the plate to the point where he is so quiet in his load. And when you watch him make contact, it's even plain. He's not falling over one side or the other. He's not wildly missing. And the fact that you mentioned that he's playing the outfield, suddenly DJ Gladney's value has, has skyrocketed, considering that he's not striking out as much and that he's making a lot of contact. So just wanted to throw that in there because DJ Gladney's always been one of my favorite prospects covering mainly because of his athleticism and the insane amount of pop that he has at the plate. He shored himself up as a professional now with a lot of help, and he's starting to put together a quality season, a consistent season, which is really exciting. Um, Any follow-up to that, James? And also the fact that Jonathan Cannon's killing it. Brooks Goswine is also getting some looks, and Tyler Schweitzer's made four starts. These are guys who are pitching, uh, and you want to have a little basis, just a little bit, to evaluate um, from us. I know the White Sox are watching these players, but for our sake, to get some numbers behind the outings, it helps a little bit. Yeah, so I don't know if the White Sox have like any aces, but it does seem like they have like some big league starters in their system. And like they kind of knew, I think Jonathan Cannon's like very safe and we kind of talked about him and we're going to touch more on next year's draft class to like close out this episode. But I mean, that's 28 innings pitched at Winston-Salem already. He's got a 318 ERA. He's not striking out that many people, but his fastball's up to 97. So people that have seen him, you know, have been pretty optimistic with how Cannon looks. And obviously he's, look, maybe he's a little too good for high A and he should be in Birmingham. Like, we'll see that. But, you know, that's an it's an impressive start um, for him. And it's good that the White Sox have, like, been able to coax, like, some more, like, out of the fastball. You know, getting it up to 97, I mean, he wasn't really doing that much in college, and he's doing it now, which is good. And then I guess, like, the other thing I would say is just, like, some of the roles. Like, you've kind of talked about, you talked about Cole Seamus and Drew McDaniels, like an undrafted guy that they had. And then Mason Adams is a, you know, guy they took on the third day last year. Like, they're using some of these guys as starters, but then they're also bringing them back like different days and like piggybacking guys, like where they're throwing like four innings after, you know, like Jared Kelly will start and then Seamus will come in and throw four innings after him. So I don't know if that's like a something that Ethan Katz wants done or if the White Sox are just trying to like unearth like some multi-inning like outgetters, like some other clubs finally or what. But that's been like a little bit of a change, I would say. And even like obviously – you know, I don't know if you saw the news on, on Garrett Crochet, but, the, you know, the White Sox are kind of stretching him out to pitch at multiple innings finally, you know, while he's in Birmingham. That's probably like a topic for a whole show, but I don't know if this is like a new thing. And then just with, you know, the biggest pitching performance, I guess, like in the system, like one of your guys, obviously, like Christian Maynard has thrown 25 innings in double A as a 20-year-old, okay? So he's, I think it's five starts. So one of those wasn't many innings, but it's five starts, 25 innings. He's averaging over 15 Ks per nine, only two walks per nine. 
Um, with a 396 ERA, his ex-FIP is only 236. So, but I mean, it is just a ton of strikeouts. 42 strikeouts and six walks in 25 innings. Like Christian Mena has been awesome to start the year. And you know what, Mike? Like the one thing is like fastball velocity, right? Like he's probably, and we've talked about this, like he's probably going to have to add it somewhere along the way. But I mean, the double A Southern League is, you know, it, it's pretty tough and he's really not having many problems. Yeah, Christian Mena is getting away with a velocity that's improved. It's not 89-92. It's more like 91-94. You can get by with that, absolutely, with the stuff that he has in his secondary offerings. And we talk about his breaking pitches all the time. That's his bread and butter. And it's when you watch him, the ball jumps out of his hand, and the fastball works like a dart. So it's pretty straight but the breaking ball keeps hitters off balance so successfully that a 94 mile an hour fastball when he wants to get it up there will work and get players out. The most encouraging part to me, James, is as a 20 year old. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One, he's holding his own double A, but two, he's pitching every start. He's making outings every fifth day. So to me, that means, you know, he's strong. It's a guy who can handle it. And we're going to continue to monitor Christian Mena. We got to take a break. When we come back, we got to talk about a new right-handed pitcher. And I'd like to talk a little bit about Garrett Crochet since you brought it up, James. We're going to talk about that. And we're also going to revisit the 2022 Chicago White Sox draft class because... A lot of them are doing pretty well, so stick with us. you got the Future Sox podcast. All right, James, let's talk about the brand-new Chicago White Sox right-handed pitcher out of Cuba. You were following this story. We had some friends who were close to the pitcher break the news. 25-year-old Yosimar Cuisine, I think is how you pronounce it. Right-handed pitcher, 25 years old. What do you know? What do you say? What do you got on the new White Sox arm? Yeah, so when this first broke last week or so, like when Francis Romero was the first one to like mention it, he kind of brought up that he was getting $2 million in a big league deal, which makes absolutely no sense um, because that would mean that he'd have to go on the 40-man and they're expecting him much sooner. What it actually looks to be makes a lot more sense. It looks like $100,000 he gets like up front as his bonus and then he can make anywhere like – you know, it kind of says he'll receive $2 million in deferred money. He gets $1.2 million if he reaches MLB between 23 and 25, and then an additional 625000 if he stays in the minors. So, look, it seems like he can get up to $2 million. Um, 
And look, if he did make it to the majors, then it would be your typical minor league signing where he gets the six years of control and arbitration and everything along those lines. Um, because Cousine is 25 years old, he does not count against the bonus pools. So the White Sox do have $1.5 million in international bonus pool space remaining. I don't know what they're spending it on. I hope they spend it on something, um, but this guy doesn't count against that. One of the other writers you know, that has kind of been all over this story, Yusef Diaz of the Cuban Baseball Digest. So he, he reported that the White Sox plan is to send Cuisine to AA Birmingham. So whenever this signing becomes official and the White Sox announce it, like I'm expecting that to be part of it. So, you know, it seems like his fastball is, you know, in the 92 to 95 range. And some scouts have seen like a plus slider, like in, you know, in uh, some of his showcases. And then like his numbers overall, like, weren't great in Cuba. It's a 480 ERA and like 420 innings in his career. And his last year there, he really wasn't very good at all. He doesn't strike out that many people. So, you know, he does profile as a starter, six foot two, 200 pounder. Um, so, you know, the Sox saw something they liked, but obviously, you know, it's only, it's a bonus of a hundred thousand. He can make up to 2 million. Like the White Sox track record, I guess has been, okay. Like it kind of depends, right? I just, I kind of feel like if this was a guy that we should be super excited about, like maybe he gets more money, like cause any of the 30 teams could assign this guy cause he doesn't count against the pool. So I guess that's where I would just caution. But look, I mean, if he's double a pitching depth, like for that money, like in a guy that who, who could maybe like be a back end starter in the majors, um, you know, I think it's fine. And it's a guy like worth following obviously, but this isn't, you know, like one of their top signings on January uh, 2nd or January 15th or anything like that. So it's just, you know, another guy to add to the organization, another Cuban. They're, they're very used to doing things like this. This guy's just like a little bit older and it's kind of just because of like when he defected essentially. So, you know, we'll have more at Future Sox, obviously, when the White Sox actually announce this signing and Hopefully that comes with like a scouting report from them and kind of what they saw and what they see in this guy and what they think he can be going forward. You could read James right up. It's just a recap of essentially what James just mentioned. Go to futuresocks.com and socksmachine.com. We have that up for you. Yeah, it seems to me that, hey, look, if we're looking down the line and we're being kind of pessimistic about this whole thing, you need some representative arms to fill innings uh, when the White Sox are going through maybe not a rebuild, maybe a retool, but yeah, like right now the depth within the system is uh, uh, not good uh, when it comes to starting pitching because they're just not there yet. You know, a lot of these pitchers have to develop still. And we're talking about next year. That's a major leap for a lot of these young arms to be able to pitch in the big league. So you can't really count on that. And the White Sox got to fill a rotation somehow. I mean, 25 years old, you know, this is a guy who maybe who knows, who knows? Maybe next year we'll see him in the big leagues. Um, so, all right. <laughs> Another thing we can be very optimistic about, we're the Chicago White Sox. And we appreciate you, the listener. Thanks for hanging out with us. We try and keep things um, yeah, as even-keeled as we can. We want to be objective, and we want to just tell you what's happening within the organization um, from an informed perspective. Because, James, you know, we covered the transition from Nick Hostetler to Mike Shirley. And now we're three drafts in. 2022 may have been his best um, when it comes to Mike Shirley and developing this farm system because a lot of these picks, when you look through 1 through 20, there are names that 
you're familiar with that have been noted across various publications who cover prospects such as Noah Schultz, Peyton Paulette, Jonathan Cannon. You know, Jordan Sprinkle gets a bunch of love because of his athleticism. He's starting to put the bat together a little bit in low A. Tyler Schweitzer, a guy that we already mentioned, is pitching and is working. Eric Adler, a guy from the 2022 draft, has electric stuff, but unfortunately and I believe it's it's less than seven innings. He has nine walks and eight strikeouts. So that kind of tells you where the relief pitcher Eric Adler is in his career, and that's really been all the issue uh, is command. But the stuff is so good. Uh, you move down the list, there's Tim Elko, who was just the Carolina League Player of the Month. Uh, you know, low A looks like he needs to get bumped up to Winston-Salem very soon. He's just a masher out of Ole Miss, right-handed bat. Jacob Burke, your guy, you talk to him, James. I mean, just rattling down these names. Brooks Baldwin, look, there are names in last year's draft class that are worth following and that have taken to professional baseball very well. So I think it's something that we should celebrate. Yeah, and there is a guy, you know, that, that seems pretty interesting that I'll get to in a minute. But, I mean, like, just going down the list, I mean – like we haven't seen the prize yet, right? Like Noah Schultz and th- there were, I guess, pretty stellar like instructs reports just kind of about like how good he's looked. So I think like maybe we should be pretty excited to see him. I just, you know, we have to actually see him pitch. Peyton Paulette's numbers haven't been great and he's working his way back from Tommy John. Like I think this year is just a matter of see how many innings Paulette can get under his belt, right? Like we've talked about Cannon. We've talked about Tyler Schweitzer. I think Schweitzer should move pretty quickly um, as far as like some of the pitchers there. Eric Adler, you know, you're right. Like he he walked a million guys in college too. And it's just one of those things where, you know, if they can get the command in order, he's got really good stuff. But he's also a guy that, you know, if he was out of baseball, like in a couple of years, it wouldn't be terribly surprising because he can't throw strikes. But I mean, that's kind of what you do in round six. And then just, you know, like there's a whole group of college position players, like you mentioned, Mario Camaletti, Michael Turner is a catcher from Arkansas, Tim Elko. All these guys are like in low A, Canapolis, and they're playing well, you know, but they are kind of like old for those assignments. So we'll see how it goes. Like, you know, once we have another draft class and once um, I think June 5th, the the rookie league start. We'll see if anybody moves around there. Jacob Burke is still, you know, he was dealing with an injury, but I believe he's playing. He played in uh, Arizona league like games this week and extended spring training. So he should be on the mend. And then Brooks Baldwin is back playing for Canapolis as well. So some of the day three pitchers though, is like what I kind of wanted to bring up. There's like a group of guys here that are a little bit interesting. So Mason Adams is a right-handed pitcher from Jacksonville university. He was their 13th rounder. So he was a starter in college. He's looked pretty good in multi-inning relief in the minors so far this year. So he's been interesting. Billy Seidel is a, a righty from Duke. Who's a reliever. Who's you know, got hit around like a couple of times, but his stuff is pretty good. I think he's been like the primary closer for Canapolis. And then Tristan Stevers, a right-handed pitcher from Texas State in round 16, he's another guy that profiles as like a back-end, like bullpen guy. Um, And then, you know, there's one more that I'll throw in. He wasn't a draft pick. Drew McDaniel was a right-handed pitcher of Ole Miss. He was signed as an undrafted free agent. He's kind of been like in a swing man too. He was a starter at Ole Miss, but he's pitched in, I think, relief and starting so far 
in the low minors as well. And then the true prize here though, so far is Shane Murphy. I don't know if like how many people have like recognized this, but so Shane Murphy was a left-handed pitcher out of Chandler Gilbert community college last year. He was signed by John Kazanis and he's the latest that was signed by John Kazanis. Um, he, you know, he's the, the scout that found Mark Burley and there's Tanner Banks in there. And there's a whole list of other guys who, you know, typically he finds left-handed pitchers like out near the West coast. That's his area, you know, and there's, there's been like a whole group of, of guys that he has found. So, you know, Shane Murphy in four starts so far, 20 innings pitched. He's averaging nearly 12 strikeouts per nine, 1.35 walks per nine and a 185 ERA so far um, for Kannapolis. He's actually like a starting pitching prospect that throws left-handed. That's, pretty young still. I think he's, you know, one guy that I'm going to keep an eye on from day three of this draft. Cause he's just like a guy that we didn't really know much about. And it's weird. Like sometimes with community college, you, you don't know. So I think that's one that, that we should monitor. And if he ended up on like a top 30 list at some point this year, like I wouldn't be completely surprised. Is Garrett Crochet going to be a starter in 2024? It's interesting. Isn't it? It's something we keep talking about. Like, like if the White Sox stay on their current path and they're bad, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe. <laughs> I think we've kind of said like, look, he can't start on a team that's trying to contend just because of like the logistics of the roster and you can only keep 13 pitchers and like how do you do it? But I mean, they're definitely trying to stretch him out in Birmingham right now where he could pitch multi-innings of relief. So if you were to do that next year, I think – the first step is to have him pitch multiple innings in relief out of this year's bullpen. And it kind of seems like that's going to be his role when he gets back here. So, you know, I'm not going to say no. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to, but I, I am glad that they're not pigeonholing him into like being a setup guy or something because that just like doesn't make sense. Like, it, you know, I think, what they did in 2021 makes no sense, right? Like, I think they kind of wanted him to, you know, even last year it sounded like they were going to put him in this Kopech-like role where he was going to throw multiple innings, but you knew that the the manager at the time was not having that. I mean, he liked very specifically designed, like, one-inning roles for most of these guys, and it kind of seemed like that's what Crochet was going to do again, and then he blew out his arm, and now he's back. But I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that they need him. He's one of their best arms. And, you know, like, why wouldn't you want him throwing multiple innings if he could? Right, and with Crochet, I mean, it's a totally unique situation. A guy who has developed to work as a starter in college, season got canceled, (laughs) drafted by the White Sox, pitched in the big leagues right away out of the bullpen, and... He would pitch on back-to-back days as a reliever uh, when Tony LaRusso was at the helm, and you could tell that it was just ineffective. And especially considering the way that he works, and this is you know pre-surgery, of course, but you know you got to get everything out of you know, his delivery in order for him to be effective. And working on back-to-back days as a reliever just didn't cut it for Crochet. And I think that. That's just who he is. So if you're going to use him as a multi-inning reliever, that means you're going to take days in between before he's available again. And what does that kind of remind you of? His starter's timeline. You know, multi-inning reliever this year out of the Major League bullpen, 
create an offseason program for the lefty to get himself into game shape to become a starter. And then there you go. The prophecy is fulfilled. <laughs> it took a while to get there, but who knows? So that's just food for thought. We're going to talk about that, I'm sure, uh, again. But the fact that Liam Hendricks is pitching, Garrett Crochet is pitching, I mean, what a story for Liam Hendricks, obviously. But the fact that, you know, we talked about this like a month ago, James. This is something that we had anticipated given everything that had transpired. We saw Liam working on the field during spring training and everything else, just the positive reports that kept coming in. And Liam Hendricks is very, very useful. And that's another guy that could be on some other team's radar if the White Sox season goes south. Yeah. I mean, I, I just like kind of like that Liam Hendricks is like on the baseball team that I root for. Like that dude's yeah. awesome. And like just some of the stuff is, yeah, like it's just insane. Like I, what did I say? That like he's like an animal or something like <laughs> it's, it's It's just ridiculous. Like when you first heard about it, you know, it's tough as a fan to not be like, oh, that's great. Like, they're not going to have Liam Hendricks this year, right? And obviously, look, like, the most important thing was, like, him beating the cancer. That's what everybody wanted. But, like, I just, like, kind of assumed that, like, it was going to be, like, a lost season for him, you know? And, I, look, I, I was positive because of, like, the type of cancer that, that he had. And, you know, it's it's a very, like, high success rate. And that was, like, the most important thing. But, like, we're going to see him in May. That's crazy. <laughs> Like, this is absolutely absurd, like, either way, right? Like, and then the fact that he's come out and said now that he thinks he was, like, pitching with it last year, and, you know, he, like, casually, like, oh, maybe that's why I couldn't recover last year. It's like, Jesus, man, man, man. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I thought I felt a little weird. Like, yeah. it's like, holy cow. Just a wonderful type of person. Yeah, I don't know him personally, just he's infectious. The personality is incredibly infectious, and the way that, the Charlotte Knights are constructed too, James. Just wanted to mention this. Yeah, guys like Steven Piscotti, Victor Reyes, Billy Hamilton, Jake Marisnik. Now we're seeing some roster moves, and Lenin Sosa went up and down quickly, uh, but there's a lot of struggles from Lenin Sosa and Oscar Colas back in AAA. As we wrap up this episode, I just wanted to conclude with, with this thought. is Give the White Sox credit for telling Oscar Colas to – go down and fix some of the struggles because, I mean, it was apparent that he was swinging wildly and didn't really have much of a major league approach, or at least the major league pitchers had figured out how to get him out pretty effectively. So credit to the White Sox for getting him more at bats and, and clean up some of his uh, struggles. Yeah, he's gonna he's down there and he's doing well and that's kind of what I expected, right? We talked about this. Like I don't know that it necessarily means that he comes back up and can all of a sudden lay off like major league breaking stuff. Right. He's gonna have to figure that out on his own. But <laughs> the one funny thing about Charlotte right now, they have so many mercenaries, man. Yeah. Like and all these Clint guys. Frazier, like, yeah. Clint Frazier is absolutely playing for the twenty twenty three Chicago White Sox. It's absolutely happening. I'm surprised it's not happening. Like, or it didn't happen like in Cincinnati this weekend. Like Carlos Perez got called up for, you know, for, mm -hmm. for Aloy just cause he's on the 40 man, I think. And my guess is he'll go back down when Moncada's ready. But yeah, I was, I was already bracing for Clint Frazier because Clint Frazier was often mentioned in trade talks for white, you know, for the White Sox, for Quintana and Sale and just over the years. Right. And Kenny and Rick always get the guys they've wanted. Yeah. So, you know, he's here. <laughs> Keep Zach Remillard in mind as well. It's a longtime White Sox farmhand who's grinding his way to the doorstep of a major league call-up. It's unfortunate when you're not on the 40-man because there's so many things that have to go your way to be able to obviously make your major league debut. But he's so close and he's doing everything that he can, playing every position that he can out in Charlotte. Our guy Jeff Cohen is uh, is all over it. You can follow him on Twitter at Triple A Jeff. 
for his coverage of the Charlotte Knights. But yeah, you're right. Mercenaries is a good word for it because, um, you know, Zach Remillard is a guy who's trying to make the big league roster, but so are Stephen Piscotty and, and the like. You know, they, they want their careers to continue. So that's uh, the White Sox are providing that opportunity. How, how nice of them to do so. James, great stuff as always. We're looking forward to draft coverage coming up in June. Heavy draft stuff as well as in July, July 11th across the All-Star break is important. Then the trade deadline's coming up. A lot of action happening with the Chicago White Sox organization. We'll have it covered for you at FutureSox.com. Follow us at FutureSox on Twitter. James is at JamesFox917. I'm at Rankin906. Really appreciate the support on Patreon. You guys are awesome. We're going to give you exclusive content if you sign up. And no ads on the podcast as well. So that you know, keep that in mind. We really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for everything that you do for us at Future Sox. For James Fox, my name's Mike Rankin. We are live, I guess, now. <laughs> but when you listen to the podcast, it's recorded. We record every Tuesday. We'll have it for you every week. 365 days a year, we cover Chicago White Sox baseball. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next week.